Well, it's good to be with you today after a week of vacation. I hope some of you are getting that uh, same opportunity uh, during the summer, and if not, that you will soon. It's good to be able to move about and go different places uh, once again. So pre-COVID, because you can't really go and sit in a doctor's office anymore, pre-COVID, I was uh, sitting in a doctor's office and there were, you know, the outdated magazines. And I saw one that said, like, six secrets to adding 10 years to your life. Well, I'm getting to the age where I thought that sounded like something I might be interested in. So I... I uh, I thought, you know, maybe there's a new drug, maybe there's a new vitamin cocktail, something I hadn't really considered. So I went, I thumbed through and I find that article. And uh, the first one, first thing it said you can add like was two or three years to your life, wear your, wear your seatbelt. And I can't tell you how deflated I was by that. I mean, I think that's a good thing. I wear mine all the time, but that wasn't going to, reading that wasn't going to add any time to my life because I've done that most of my adult life. Number two, get exercise regularly. Well, I do that too. And I'm thinking, you know, there are no secrets here. This is all stuff we already know. Eat less sugar. I don't like that one. Uh, You know, there's all these things that, These are the secrets to adding years to your life, I guess, if you're not already doing them. And it seems so obvious. You know, you walk out and you think, well, tell me me something I don't know. Well, hold on to that for just a moment while I tell you a little bit about a professor, a former professor at Boston University, Stephen Prothrow. Uh, Prothro uh, taught introduction to religion at Boston University, and he realized how little his students knew about their faith. And so uh, this, this is a, a little excerpt from something he writes. He says, For the past two years, I've given my students in an introductory religious studies course a religious literacy quiz. I asked them to list the four Gospels, the seven sacraments of Roman Catholicism, and the Ten Commandments. I asked them to name the Holy Book of Islam. They do not fare well. They inform me that Ramadan is a Jewish holiday, that Revelation is one of the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, that Paul led the Israelites uh, on the Exodus out of Egypt. A Baptist student couldn't name or couldn't identify blessed are the poor in spirit as a Bible quote and Catholic students unfamiliar with the golden rule couldn't identify that. Only 17% of my students passed the quiz. That's pretty basic stuff. Reminds me of uh, several years ago, uh, Jay Leno, uh, you know, still on late night, and asked the crowd to name the four Gospels. They couldn't, but he said, name the four Beatles. Bam, everybody knew that. Everybody knew that very quickly. 
it should come as no surprise that the faith traditions that are the most committed to teaching their children, their own children, about the faith are the fastest growing faith traditions in the world. And among these would be Mormonism and Islam because they are the most uh, prepared and structured in teaching children the basics of their faith. Protestantism does not fare well. And if you know your church history, you will know that Baptists are technically not Protestants, although we get labeled that way in the press quite a bit. But it doesn't matter what brand of Baptist you are, whether you're American Baptist, Southern Baptist, Cooperative Baptist, all of those are plateaued or declining. And all of mainline Protestantism is. Now, we blame a lot of different things. We blame when they took prayer out of schools. We blame that you can't post the Ten Commandments. But really, I think these are a way of absolving ourselves from the responsibility that as families, I'm not just going to say parents because some, some of us, as I did, grew up in a family that didn't always include parents, Families have a responsibility that cannot be delegated to the school. It can't be delegated to the government. It can't be delegated a lot of other places. We bear responsibility for what we teach our children. And I think there is a great irony in that we are in a faith tradition that basically talks about teaching our children, which is, uh, you can find that as an example in the passage that Gil read for us earlier. And throughout the book of Deuteronomy, there is this sense of learn and teach. Learn and hold these words in your heart and teach them to your children. And it is a, a repetitive repetitive message that it's not only what we take in, but what we believe in enough to share with, uh, with our children. Uh, Midrash, our uh, ancient, uh, ancient rabbi stories that are used to explain different uh, texts in the Bible, and there is a midrash about when God was going to give the law to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. And uh, in this story told by rabbis, uh, it is said that God said, I'm going to give you something that is so valuable, so valuable that I'm going to need something. I'm going to need something to show that you appreciate this gift. And so they said, well, we'll, uh, we'll take a collection. We'll give you all of our riches. And God said, um, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need your riches. And they said, well, we will uh, give you the land that we're getting ready to uh, uh, conquer. And God said, I'm giving you the land. You can't give the land back to me. 
And so the, the elders of Israel gathered together and they discussed and they discussed and they prayed. And finally they came back to God and said, what if we give you our children? What if we give you our children as a symbol of, of the seriousness with which we take what you are giving to us in the law, in the word, in scripture, and in all this relationship. And God said, that will do. In essence, when any of us who are Christians, if and when we become parents, we are already committing ourselves to give this to our children. You know, there are times where I hear families say, well, when they, when they get old enough, I'm going to let them make up their mind for themselves. We don't feel this way about washing their hands after they go to the restroom. We don't feel that way about whether or not they brush their teeth. But for some reason, something as vital and important as faith, we think, well, they'll, we'll let them make up their mind for themselves. You know, the article promised secrets to a longer life. And I want to say that there are no secrets, and the same thing is true about a meaningful faith. There are very distinct things that we now know correlate with what becomes an active, meaningful faith in life and what families do with their kids. And so today, let me just tell you two secrets that are not secrets. These are not things that's going to take you 20 years to do. These are things that can be done today. But they correlate to whether or not our children believe that faith is important for them as they grow older. The first is to perform acts of Christian compassion as a family. That's it. Perform acts of Christian compassion as a family. To I, I've I've known families who for actually for for decades the the boys in this one family are now uh, approaching thirty years old. They serve in a uh, community kitchen every Thanksgiving together. Before they eat their meal, they serve meals to those who are less fortunate. And that's not the only time of year when they've done that. And I know other families who have taken on uh, distributing uh, baskets to the ER staff. You know, if you're in the hospital at Christmas time, if you're in ICU, everybody takes their nurse something. Nobody takes a basket to the ER with them when they go. But we appreciate you being here, and as an act of Christian uh, remembrance tonight, when our Savior, who was a great physician, was born, we bring this to you. Thank you for being here for those of us in the community who need you. So one thing, perform acts of Christian compassion together as a family. And the second one is to pray with your children. That's not hard, except it is hard. Because a lot of us are more concerned whether or not we'll say the right thing than we are the fact that our children grow up listening to us pray and making family 
an important part of the decisions we make, making it an important part of the junctures of the important junctures of life before we undertake something to to bless and to ask God's protective care over all the things that we do. Not secrets, not rocket science, just the things that we can do so that we can learn and we can teach as commanded to do. If this faith, if this faith matters as much as we say it does, then are we not obligated? Are we not obligated to live every day teaching, nurturing, encouraging, sharing with our children so that they will assume the same faith when they come to be our age? I believe this is a, uh, an obligation placed upon Parents, grandparents, all of us who have influence in the lives of the children we love, to give them, to the best of our ability, the opportunity for faith in Jesus Christ.